time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. This is our special Earth Day episode where we talk about everything chickens and Earth Day. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton, but most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And kiss them, too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This was Colombian Supremo. It's Colombia. It's gone, too. And we needed it to wake up. It's good. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat Earth Day? First of all, happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. And this was eco-friendly fair trade coffee. Because it's Earth Day. That's right. And because we celebrate Earth Day every day here at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. That's right. We are all about saving the Earth. But this is that special day where we're putting it in front and center. It's April 22nd, 2022. Just a little history. Do you know when the first Earth Day was? No, when? April 22nd, 1970. Earth Day is older than us. Yay! <laughs> Something is older than us, and that's Earth Day. April 22nd, 1970, Earth Day debuted. It's a worldwide event celebrating the Earth and helping humans learn how to protect and heal the environment. Better be worldwide if it's Earth Day. Absolutely. Yeah. So, are backyard chickens Earth-friendly? Most definitely. Yes. Heck yes, they are. Especially backyard chickens. You compare backyard chickens to the typical mass-producing industrial farm. Backyard chickens offer food stability and a much, much smaller carbon footprint. Exactly. And our special guests on this episode, which we'll get to in just a little bit, are from one of the most eco-friendly chicken businesses out there. Oh, yes. I cannot wait till we get there, but we're holding it for a little bit longer. So we're going to first talk about how chickens are going to support the earth and keep our earth green, blue oceans, and great for our children and then our children's children and so on and so on. So just a quick definition, because you hear all these terms thrown around and not always defined. So we're going to talk about a carbon footprint. Carbon footprint is basically what waste goes back in the world from the animals, from the plants. And it's basically what you leave behind. And greenhouse gases are something we're also going to discuss. Yes, we are. Greenhouse gases are often caused by things like CO2 from cars and industry, and also methane, which is often blamed on the agriculture industry. There are some things that we can all do to kind of minimize our greenhouse gases. Non-aerosol sprays are a big thing. If you're wondering why greenhouse gases are an issue, things like methane move into our atmosphere and they hold heat and moisture. Yeah. Essentially making the earth like a greenhouse and raising the temperature. Then you get things like the polar ice caps melting and all of the trouble that comes along with that. So as a backyard farmer, Uh we can help by cutting down on industrialism for egg farming. Absolutely. Because we're not buying those eggs. Right. We're producing our own with a much smaller carbon footprint. And that cuts back on the need for industrial chicken farming. Not to mention the fact that, as we learned a couple of weeks ago from Amy Adams, a registered dietitian, eggs are one of the most bioavailable proteins we can eat. Exactly. So if you're growing your own veg and you have egg-laying hens, you have nice food security there with a small carbon footprint. And it's your own little family homestead. Exactly. And what are some of the ways that we keep that carbon footprint small? Okay, so let's go through these. The number one way is composting. Exactly. So composting means taking those scraps of whatever it is and you're reusing them 
So say food scraps right. that you're able to feed to your chickens as a treat, you are. I knew food waste was a problem, but food waste is a huge producer of methane gas. So like food scraps in the landfill. Yeah. So like you said, you can compost that. You can also compost your chicken manure. Right. And that's kind of interesting. You have a couple of choices. Yeah. Because whether you're putting your chicken manure in a compost pile or you're using the deep litter method in your coops, all of these things, oxygen and microbes in the soil help chicken poop break down into that rich material that can go right back into your garden. This is what I do with mine. When I clean out my chicken coops, and I clean my coops weekly, I use pine shavings, which are also biodegradable. Absolutely. Right? So I'm cleaning that out with the poop. And then the poop stays in the run. And then once a year, we have that dirty, dirty job uh-huh. of digging out the run. Right. Because what it does is it adds up in there. You're composting under your chickens. Yes. So basically, you can't use the stuff that's right on top. Right. You have to go under because it has to be there for a while to, to get break to the down, point right. to break down. And then we take it out and we refill all of our beds in the spring. We refill all around our runs to cover our wires. Yeah. We reuse it. Right. And again, you can do chicken poop. You can do bedding. You can do food scraps. Here's the golden thing about composting. Compost does not produce methane. So methane producing microbes cannot reproduce in the presence of oxygen, which you need in your composting. Right. So it's really an ideal system. It takes about six weeks for poop to break down. It takes a while. Longer for bedding if right. it's mixed like in with bedding. Like the pie shaving. So that's like six to nine months. And in just a bit here, we're going to circle back and talk about ways to use all that poop. Right. I mean, so what I do is take the top layer, probably like three to four inches down, scrape it all to the side of the run. Uh-huh. You scrape that top layer off and right. then I go under and I take about a foot down. Uh-huh. And take all that and put it where I need it. Right. I mean, you're going to be able to grow the best flowers off this stuff. That's for sure. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of April, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer cannot be combined with any other discount. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code KIND30. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the April Box, I absolutely love the big pack of greens and fodder seeds And the sparkly chicken earrings. Those bath bombs smell so good. And that wind chime is going to look so cute out in my run. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order. And shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. So we have the next all-important question. Now, don't laugh or giggle when I ask this, but Holly Ann, what do you do with your poop? It depends on what poop you're talking about. (laughs) If we're talking sheep poop or chicken poop, obviously you can compost it. 
But if you don't have a place to compost it, Mm -hmm. this is what we do. If we're making new garden beds, we will put the fresh poop and bedding right in the bottom of a bed. Yeah. Because we're going to layer so much stuff on top of it that it's going to be quite a while before plant roots get to it. So you can put it in the bottom of a new raised bed. You can use it in the bottom of a big planter or container if you want to grow in there. Another thing we will do is spread it on the beds in late autumn when we're putting the garden to bed. Yeah. And let it age through the winter. It's kind of the same thing I do, but I do scrape the top off and go under. Yeah. We're both doing the same thing. Right. You're using it. As a fertilizer more like, yeah, basically. And we are using it as a down the line fertilizer to enrich the soil. I kind of use it for both things. Yeah. I'm filling beds, topping off beds. Yeah. Filling planters with it. So why spend money on topsoil? that you have right there from your chickens. Well, we really like it in the veggie garden, especially because one of the things chicken manure is rich in is nitrogen. Yeah. There are a whole bunch of veggies that like nitrogen rich So soil. let's list these veggies uh-huh. that like this. Number one, beets. It's not just beets. It's all the root vegetables. I don't like beets. You don't have to eat beets. I know you've told me this like 500 <laughs> times. I like beets. Like beets. You hate beets. Pete hates beets. There so we are. if you're growing beets, Holly Ann likes beets. I will eat None the beets. of us else likes beets. I'll eat the beets and the greens. Okay. If, if Brussels sprouts. Okay. Brussels sprouts. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't. Actually, all the root vegetable crops, not only Brussels sprouts, though, most of the cruciferous vegetables. So you're talking about broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower. Like those. Okay. There's my potatoes. Who doesn't like a potato? If you don't like them, it's more for me. I don't care. No, I love potatoes. And then a lot of greens, spinach, Swiss chard. And peppers and bean crops, too. Yes. You listed the two I don't like first. Well, they're some of my favorites. More for me. (laughs) Have you ever tried just the beet greens, though? They're good. No. They're slightly sweet. They're delicious. I might have to try the beet greens. Just the beet greens. My mom ate a lot of beets. Yeah. And I just never liked them. Oh, they're good. They're good. You have to have them prepared right. When we first got married, Joe went on a diet where you had to eat nothing but beets for like four days. Get out of here. <laughs> no, oh, that probably wasn't good. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Talk about a weird poop conversation. <laughs> so what else can you do with chicken poop? You can sell it. You can. You know why? Because some people, it's gold. Yes. So Partners that don't have access to chickens. Or every neighborhood has a Facebook page. So you can go on your neighborhood Facebook page and say, hey, everybody, come over. I have a pile of compost that's ready for gardens. Yeah. So you can spread the wealth throughout your neighborhood. Absolutely. So everybody else can have some if you have too much. Yeah. You can also bury it. And the reason I found this out is because I'm agricultural, so I can have a compost pile. Right. But in Baltimore County, unless you are doing vermiculture, growing worms with it, you can't have a compost pile. You have to bury it. I'm in Hartford County, so I can do whatever I want. I know you can do whatever you want. (laughs) And like I said, I'm agricultural, but, you know, a lot of our friends in Baltimore County, it's just became legal for them to have chickens. I know. I'm so happy that they can. Yes. But I'm still so sad that there's so many that can't. I know. That's That's a a different conversation. Yes, it is. So you can make a small-scale manure pit. You can dig a small pit, fill yeah. it with your manure. And if you're in suburbia, you can hide the pits. You can hide them behind lattices and trellis. You can even plant like pumpkins or other vine flowers on them, nasturtiums, yep. whatever. And like we said, burying is the only option in some areas. And it's really useful in spots that might become garden later. Exactly. You've got all this richness in the soil. It's gold. Yeah. So I kind of dabble in some of the permaculture principles. Yeah. Permaculture systems make use of pretty much everything. Yeah. So if you're interested in this, there are tons of websites and books about it. You can brew manure tea I'm and sorry. share that with your neighbors. This does not sound good. Well, we thought this was the funniest thing. Having grown up with horses, we always had manure piles wherever right. we were. 
And my sister coined the term poop tea for when it was really squishy, like after it rained, right? We would joke about poop tea. Imagine how much we laughed when we realized people were selling like liter jugs of poop tea. Oh my God. But you can share that with your neighbors. I've seen people selling it. Yeah. You can also, if you are in a secluded area, spread all that stuff out on your lawn and then mow it to chop it up and just let it sink in. But again, if you have nearby neighbors, you might want to skip that one. Yeah. So those are just a few of the things you can do with poop. Because we do have so many listeners who ask us about this, the other thing that we've seen people do is not necessarily saving the poop. But if your chickens are out on your lawn or if you have like a gravel or wood chip or a mulch surface, you can just use a hose and to wash it. Yeah, wash it away and let it soak into the ground. That's our poop conversation. Yes. Okay, so let's go down the line of what the chickens are going to do and how they're helping us save poop. Right, so we got through poop and composting. Let's go on. Recycling egg containers. That is really large. It actually is. I have a neighbor who used to buy the 18-count egg cartons. Yeah, big doesn't styrofoam have. styrofoam one. You don't want to throw styrofoam in the landfill. No. I will use those suckers like crazy. I usually give my mom a dozen and a half at a time. Yeah. So I fill these in no time. That's the thing that gets me is I think that egg cartons, even dozen and a half, should all be paper, cardboard at this oh, point. Oh, I agree. Styrofoam should be a thing of the 80s and Absolutely. Gone. Well. But they're not. But we're recycling it yeah. by kneading these cartons. Right. It's not one and done. If you're careful with them, they last forever. They'd last forever in the landfill anyway. They do. So you may as well try to put them to use. Okay. So let's go down to the next thing. You can grow some of their food. Some of the chicken food. Herbs. Uh-huh. Veggie, fodder, yep. bugs. Yeah. You can yep. buy or grow your own bugs. Again, depending on where you live. Again, you're helping the earth stay green right. by growing these plants. You're feeding them to your chickens. They can eat some of your food scraps and keep them out of the landfill, which means less methane gas. I think we need to do a lot more. But not wasting as much food. There are so many people in our country and around the world that are starving. Uh-huh. And so many restaurants and different places. But just I, people in areas of our country and the world that live in what they we call throw Desert. Their food at the end of the day because yeah. somebody didn't buy it because they're afraid of getting sued if somebody gets sick. And there are, in a it. lot of places there are laws that require that. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it is. But it's like there's so much food waste. It's crazy. Uh-huh. So yeah, you can feed some of some, your food scraps. Exactly. That's not their main diet right. for sure. That is a treat, and that it's safe for them and right. not something that isn't. Right. You can actually just Google foods that are poisonous for chickens and find the amazing list. Okay, so here's the other big thing. We can repurpose and or recycle feed bags. Those feed bags are beyond cute. You like to make the bags out of the bags. I the do, bags. Yeah. Those are my grocery bags. Yeah, they're works of art on there, the pictures of the chickens. I can't tell you how many people stop me and they say, do you make them yourself? Yeah, or you can put them in the recycle. Some of them. Yeah. I usually make the tote bags out of the ones that aren't recyclable purposely. Okay. Your chickens can consume insect pests and lower insecticide use. Yeah. It's on a small scale, but every little bit adds up. Okay. So those are the things in general that chickens are doing to help save the earth. And we are, as backyard chicken farmers, you and I had this conversation before we put this show together. What chicken or chickens do we find to be some of the most eco-friendly breeds? And we want to put a little caveat here that chickens are living beings with physical and emotional needs. They're not tools. And that needs to be taken into account when choosing a breed this way. That aside, one of the breeds we thought was the most earth-friendly is our lovely leghorn. We think Lucy should get a gold star for Earth Day. But Lucy eats way more than a lot of leghorns. 
They're a highly efficient heritage egg-laying machine if they you're looking are. for a chicken that's going to be nice to have around and produce huge quantities of eggs for and you. And their bodies are built to where they don't need as much food right. to keep themselves going. Right. They're very heat-hardy. In the winter, one of the strikes against them is that they might need supplemental heat. However, modern coop technology, the cozy coop heaters draw minuscule amounts of Let's power. Let's talk about a radiant panel heater draws so much less electricity than something like a heater or a right. heat lamp. So by using this, you're helping the earth exactly. because we're drawing a lot less electricity. Right. So the other thing I thought about, if you're looking for maximum bang for your buck, so to speak, with a chicken, is a lot of the bantams. We had that conversation the other day. Yeah. When you're talking about tiny chickens and that carbon footprint, what they're leaving behind on the earth, bantams are a good way to go. They are. Their eggs are small, but still packed with nutrients. Yeah. And they're tiny. They're one pound. They are tiny. Two pounds. Yeah. So their footprint will be less. They'll be eating less pooping less, those types of things. Right. So we have a lot of talks about this stuff. We actually do. I'm so excited that this year we're actually celebrating Earth Day. Mm-hmm. And by doing this, it's bringing awareness to what the chicken offers. The Earth. Right. So we sat down with two guys who have a pretty big reputation in the chicken world for making a product that our chickens just love. And on top of our chickens loving it, it's eco-friendly. Right. We sat down with Sean and Patrick. They are the owners and founders of Grubly Farms. And we had such a nice conversation with these guys. They're so down to earth. And it was amazing to talk to them and hear their story and what they want to do to help the earth with their products. Right. Not only does Grubly Farms create a very healthy treat for chickens, They do it in an extremely sustainable way that diverts huge quantities of post-consumer food waste from the landfill. But we'll let Sean and Patrick tell that story. So here is our interview with them. Enjoy. So nice to meet you guys. Thank you so much. It's great to meet both of you as well. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you on. So let's start out with the beginning of your story and how it came together. Yeah, so Grubly Farms was founded in early 2015 while Patrick and I were both at Georgia Tech. And it originally started with us just reading a single article about the insect industry and just fascinated with the overarching concept. We use what are called the black soldier fly. Most people have never heard of it, but it is a non-invasive species. They're considered grass, which is generally recognized as safe. So they don't bite, sting, or transmit any disease to humans. But the real benefit is that the grub stage of the fly can actually eat twice its body weight a day and is absolutely incredible at converting food waste into both a fertilizer and then you can process the grub itself into fats and proteins that can be used in a wide range of animal feed. We read a single article about it, fell in love with the concept, and we actually started growing grubs in our laundry room while at Georgia Tech. And that was really the beginning of Grubbly Farms. That had to be a fun college experience, minus the keg, plus the right. growing of the grubs. We were quite yeah. the on that because most college students are not growing grubs in their laundry room. <laughs> well, they, they might be. It just might not be on purpose. You never know. <laughs> Fair enough. Of the two of us, I'm the super longtime chicken keeper. I think I saw one of your first commercials and I instantly subscribed. It was someone running around the corner of a house or a building with a bucket. And then all of a sudden, this huge herd of chickens comes flying and running. And I saw that. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. 
I assumed you really had grubs in the bucket, so I instantly subscribed, and I can say that I've never had a chicken that did not like this treat. They love the grubs. So you are business partners, but you're also cousins and friends, which kind of resonates with us because we're the dynamic duo from about 40 years back. How did that work to your advantage when you were starting and growing Grubly Farms? Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, Patrick and I have more or less known each other since we were about uh, six or seven uh, when he moved to Georgia. I'm born and raised here just outside of Atlanta. And we've always been friends since a young age. I'll be honest, I never really considered entrepreneurship, unlike Patrick. And I think that was actually one of the reasons that we kind of got dragged into this together. But you sometimes hear these stories or rumors of it's not the best idea to partner with family where what happens if things go south? And I would say we have experienced the exact opposite of it. Patrick and I have the ability to be entirely upfront with each other. We don't hold anything back, both good and bad. And regardless of what happens one day, the next day, we're best friends again and can hug it out and you know carry on. And I think that has been a huge asset, building the company together, being able to work off each other. It's a yeah. magic recipe because mm-hmm. with Holly Ann and I, we grew up sitting next to each other starting in sixth grade. And we graduated next to each other from high school. We've been together and you create a bond and then you learn how to work together. And then it's exactly like you said, you have creative differences and you work together and you go up and you down, you work through the process. Mm -hmm. And then the next day you're like, yeah, let's just laugh together for a little while. It's all over with. We were reading that somebody loves animals more than the other and someone's very business minded. So you have those two opposites at work and make a dream team together. Mm -hmm. I will say, I do think we both love animals equally. However, I don't want to put words in Patrick's mouth, but I will say before this, uh, I think he was not the most fond of insects. I think that was a a leap. We heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. I I was definitely afraid of insects for years and years. And I'm I'm still not crazy about them by any stretch of the imagination. The laxative flight rubs have wiggled their way into my heart, if you will. Um, <laughs> in terms of bugs, they were quite pleasant to be around. I mean, it's not like house flies or like or gnats that are like buzzing around your head all the time. They kind of like do their own thing, and when they land, they stay there for a while. And I think that really the the passion for sustainability and bringing a healthy, nutritious protein kind of outweighed any of my potential phobias. That being said, if the secret had been in spiders or in cockroaches, I don't think we'd be here today. I would have let Sean go in that endeavor by himself. I'm like, you know, <laughs> Fair enough. So we want to bring it to the next question. At what point you're in college, you're like, yeah, ladies, come back, party. We got these grubs growing. What takes you to the chicken? It's like, okay, this would be great for chickens. What took you to that place? We spend a, a long time doing a lot of customer discovery and speaking with anybody and everybody that would be part of the value chain. So restaurants where we thought we might collect food scraps, food manufacturing, large-scale chicken farms, large-scale fish farms. We thought about creating a protein shake, a grub burger, which we actually did end up making, and it was horrible. But as I <laughs> like to say, a chef definitely could have spiced it up a little bit better, but we didn't see a immediate market in the US for a, a grub-based burger. So did you try it? You both tried yeah. it? Yeah, we tried it. We mixed it with black beans and just like ground it up and baked them. And it was truly disgusting. Yeah, Um, that's good to know. I mean, it's intriguing, honestly. Yeah. uh, If you could disguise the taste, we would probably try a grub burger. You speak for yourself, uh, lady. I'm not trying a grub burger. I actually think that there's probably a, a little more viability to it now as the industry is moved along. The grubs actually taste a lot better than the grubs that we were growing seven years ago. 
growths that we were growing seven years ago were a little more funky than they are today. So I think actually the growths today could probably make a pretty good burger. But for chickens, at that point in time, my parents had backyard chickens and my dad was feeding them dried mealworms. And really, he knew that we were in what I think that he called a science experiment, not even necessarily a company, but knew that we were looking at insect protein and more or less just kind of as an offhand comment said, hey, you know, I feed my chickens mealworms. You may want to look into this market. And we started joining various chicken groups in the Georgia and Atlantic community. We went to a couple educational seminars and it quickly became apparent to us that the backyard chicken market was a lot cooler than I think most people initially realized. And it's a lot bigger, particularly six, seven years ago, it was underserved. It was a huge gap in the market for a product like Grubblies. It just seemed like all the stars aligned for us in the product that we were looking at, the market we were looking at, and the benefits that the Black Sporker Blood Grub in particular could bring to that market. So we were very fortunate that it did turn out to be such a successful endeavor and such a, a really good and strong product market fit. So since then, several other grub tree companies have joined the market. What sets Grubly Farms apart from all of the others? So we continue to remain one of the brand leaders and innovators within the space. And part of that, a handful of smaller companies have actually directly copied our website, sometimes without even changing the name Grubblies in there. So, you know, at a certain stance, you have to be a little flattered by it because it means you're doing something right within the industry. But I would say one of the larger aspects is that because we actually have grown the bugs ourselves and gone through that process and, you know, figured out what it takes to actually raise the fly to the grub, to the processing. When we actually outgrew our own production abilities and started working with other farms, that prior knowledge allowed us to partner with the absolute best farms around the world that are raising their insects. And the benefit of the soldier fly is that it can eat twice its body weight a day and can eat a very wide variety of food waste. However, because we are really focusing on the nutritional aspect, we only work with insect farms that actually raise their bugs to the highest pet food standard and only use pre-consumer food waste limited to fruits, vegetables, and grains, as well as going through all the proper testing for either Mm -hmm. pathogens or heavy metals, just what's common throughout the entire pet food industry. So really that partnership with those insect producers has been key that we were able to draw from some prior experience. 100%. It sets you apart from everybody, knowing that you've actually grown these things yourselves. It makes your brand trusted. Yeah. Trust Mm. that the highest quality is coming from your treats and your feed. And I've lost a couple of my chickens due to zinc poisoning on my property. And one of the things we did is run down all the feeds. And since we feed grublies daily, it was good to know that we could trust that, Mm -hmm. you know, they weren't coming from overseas and hadn't been tainted with heavy metals or pesticides, fumigation, that sort of thing. So, and I think that's what draws a lot of people to Mm grublies is the fact that all these things are 100% natural. You tested them yourselves. And people are going to stand behind that and because their chickens are their family in the exactly. chicken world. I mean, for if, sure. If you want to be extra careful, you have the hometown line. Correct. And those are grublies that have been produced in North America? Yes, USA and Canada. And then we do have our world harvest line where we do work with a handful of producers that produce internationally, but again, all growing their bugs to the highest standards out there. Yep. That's fantastic. So that brings us to the question that every chicken lady listening is going to want to (laughs) ask you. (laughs) Do you guys have chickens yourselves? We used to have chickens at our office pre-COVID. 
we no longer have those chickens anymore. However, I've recently decided to make the plunge into having chickens at my own house. Yeah. Uh, so I actually ordered my chicks over the weekend and I'm now trying to find a coop that will look good in my backyard is sturdy enough. Unlike Sean and a lot of people that I know, I'm not a very handy person. So I'm looking to buy a like, prefabricated, like an Ikea coop, if you will, but something that's a little more robust and, and heavy. So like not instead of MDF wood, I'd, I'd love to get like a solid wood one. Oh, but- yeah. Check out our friend, Diane. She owns Roost and Root Coop Company in Austin, and they build with top quality cedar wood. It's weather resistant, and her coops are amazing. Give them a look. Yeah, I, uh, They've actually been at the top of my list. Same, we're going to steer you the right way. Yeah. Their coops look absolutely phenomenal. I love one of the ones that has like a little planter on the side of it. It's like yes. a, it's only like five feet tall, and it has like a little dome. So yeah, great to know that uh, you guys are, are fans of them as well. Oh, yeah. Diane, she's been a guest on our show. She's amazing. The whole family is amazing. Yeah. So what kind of chicks did you order? So I got a Easter egg or frizzle. Uh, always oh, with frizzle. frizzles are my favorite. Frizzles <laughs> and silkies are my favorite. So I got a black silky as well. I got a super blue egg layer, an Easter egger, a gold laced Polish, and a white crusted Polish. Wow, you got all of Chrissy's favorites. <laughs> I really wanted the silver laced Polish, but they were all sold out. Okay. You got uh, all my chicken breeds. Sean, are you feeling the chicken love? You going to do this anytime soon? I really want to. I will say I do have a dog that is part husky, part border collie, and he is not the most fond of small animals. Very friendly to people and other dogs, but I yeah. really, I would only get chickens if I could be confident that he wouldn't be harassing them 24 seven in the backyard. Mm-hmm. So I would say once Patrick gets his coop, we'll probably do some experimentation to see how my dog reacts when the chickens are in the coop. And if he bugs them for five minutes and then leaves them alone, it might be on the list in the near future. Nice. Patrick's going to have to be sending me pictures of this Easter egg or frizzle <laughs> and these yeah. Polish. Oh my goodness. I'm very for excited real. about them. But Sean has no shortage of animals at at his house. He has a a small zoo going on as well. What do you have? I've always been big into fish. I've always had a handful of reptiles. I've been at a pet scorpion at one point, but I recently set up a aquaponic system to grow some tomatoes and peppers rigged up with a fish tank where I'm breeding guppies. Ali and sister would love that. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a fun project. It's been somewhat of a learning curve, but you know, it's exciting to see everything actually come to fruition. I bet that's amazing. My sister, she's into fish big time, and I'm not going to be able to think of any of the right words here, I know, but she does all this stuff with naturally cycling the tanks and this natural aquascaping. It's apparently a really serious thing. Yeah. And I know the aquaponics has become more popular lately. So essentially, you're growing vegetables over top of the tank. and That's you, so cool. Yeah, that's super cool. That fits right in with Earth Day, earth-friendly, mm-hmm. and all these different things. You're taking it one step further in your own life, which is amazing. Yeah. And uh, one of the actual interesting things about that, that uh, Patrick and I actually looked into early on in Grubbly Farms, is the combination of using the grubs in conjunction with aquaponics. So basically the idea would be to raise like a tilapia or a fish that you could consume, use that fish waste to actually grow plants and then use the plants cutting and the plant waste to grow the grubs that then feed the fish. So you almost can do an entire closed loop ecosystem. I love it. So that's going to bring us to the next question. What does the life cycle of the grub look like? 
The easiest way to describe it is I, I put it in comparison to the butterfly. So you generally speaking will start with a male and female fly. They lay eggs. The eggs generally will hatch in about a four-day period. And then they mm -hmm. hatch into the grubs, which is basically the equivalent to the caterpillar. It really depends how fast they mature on what they are feeding and how much they are actually eating on a daily basis. But generally speaking, you can raise them for between 10 and 20 days. The grub then start to metamorphosize into what are called the pupa, which is basically the cocoon equivalent. They'll remain in that state for about a two-week period before hatching into the flies themselves. And then the flies generally don't live any longer than about 10 days. And as I mentioned, the flies are completely harmless. They actually don't have any attractant to food because they actually don't eat anything. Their sole purpose once they're a fly is to mate. So they actually kind of starve to death. But the interesting thing is that is almost why the grub is so nutrient dense, because mm -hmm. the grub has to build up all of the fats and protein reserves to make it through that process to complete the life cycle as the fly. That's like a lot of the silkworm caterpillars. I was going to say yes. the same yeah, thing. You have to eat so much. Very the, similar. The caterpillar book. Yeah, yeah, like he eats and eats and My, eats. The and Hungry, eats. Hungry Caterpillar. Yeah. Yes, that's I, it. That's exactly I read that it. as a kid. <laughs> I know. Yep. I think we all did. It was yeah. amazing. So most chicken keepers these days feed their chickens with crumble or pellets from big companies that spent a lot of money researching complete nutrition for poultry. How difficult was the research that you had to put in to formulate this birth-friendly feed line using grubs as the main protein? As you said, a lot of these large companies, it's not necessarily the time it's spent on the formulation, but it really is a focus around the ingredients that they're using. A lot of these companies, the formulation might actually be one of the easier parts. There's okay. tons of programs out there that you can basically plug in any new ingredient with its nutritional breakdown, and it'll help match these other ingredients that can pair with it. However, oh, wow. okay. when you look at some of these very large companies producing chicken feed, a lot of them are more focused on reducing their own internal prices. And they do that by basically looking for the cheapest products out there, even if it's not the most healthy okay. need for the bird itself. Mm -hmm. So as an example, all of our products are corn-free and soy-free. And those are generally viewed as like empty calories where, you know, they will fill the bird up. But if you think about it, you know, a chicken won't necessarily naturally peck for a soybean or a corn kernel. It would much rather be chasing after that grasshopper or that grub on the ground. So a very large emphasis was really looking at what ingredients would not only pair with the grub itself to offer that full nutritional balance, but also what is the most healthy diet that we can offer these mm -hmm. birds. And I would say that was really a large focus. But even on top of that, it's really the continued edits that we've made, that we're always listening to customer feedback. So as an example, when we first launched our chicken feed, Picky birds is a, a very large thing for backyard chickens, whether it's the color or the shape. And we ended up having to switch the pea protein color. Certain birds didn't like green, certain birds didn't like yellow. So we had to really figure out what resonated the most. And oh, wow. I don't know if you'll find that in larger companies. I think it's once that formulation is done, they basically put it out onto the market. But we're always looking to continue to improve upon it. And that's where we're always looking for customer feedback for all of our product lines or future product lines as well. Love it. I have a special needs chicken who went through nine months of two surgeries and now she's oh, basically wow. a house chicken. Yeah. And the second surgery, she died on the table and the vet resuscitated her. And wow. after the emergency liquid food she had to eat for a few weeks, 
we introduced the grublies because it was so calorie dense and high in protein. Mm -hmm. She could only eat small meals. Very digestible protein. Very. Yeah. So she yeah. actually loves it. And now when you go to the refrigerator, she chases you for food and bags. But yeah, she has her little stamp of approval on your food and your grubs. That's great to hear. And I would actually just say on top of that, that was actually one of the larger learning curves for us when we first got into this is how these chickens really are pets. When we explain this to people that have never owned a chicken, they still kind of view it as a livestock animal. And we're like, no, chickens have entirely moved into the pet category, almost the yeah. way you could say certain dogs or cats have almost moved into the children category. With that, it all comes down to getting their entire nutritional needs and the health benefits there and really catering toward them as a pet rather than just a livestock animal. I was a veterinary technician for 15 years. And coming from that nutrition is so, so important for them. It needs to be nutrient dense so that nutrients per mouthful is at the highest number that they can. And I found that your food really is, mm -hmm. uh, especially say with molting chickens or anything like that, who will eat a little bit less. They need to get more during that time and the higher protein along with the pea protein. Let's not forget yeah. that. I mean, you have different mm -hmm. levels of protein in there and the food is very different. We both love it. When COVID hit, we had this long conversation about other types of protein. At the time, we were talking about dog food, dog crunch particularly, but it wasn't long after that that we saw your food that was grub-based. So can you tell us what you see in the future for bugs as a protein source? Yeah. So as an example, I don't have the exact numbers for 2021, but in the year 2020, over $400 million was invested into the insect farming industry around the world. Okay. So the industry itself is going to be going through a very large growth over the next decade as there's a massive internal shift in the agricultural system to move toward more sustainable proteins. As Patrick explained, I do think there's going to be a large segment in human consumption at some point. About 2 billion people on earth eat insects daily, but insects still hold some bit of a stigma in Western society. And that's ultimately why we kind of landed on the pet industry. So it's Earth Day. Obviously, we love your mission. Could you tell us how Grubly Farms thus far has made a positive impact on our environment? Yeah. So for every one pound of Grublies, you help divert about 10 pounds of food waste from entering a landfill. And that just comes down to the process of how the grubs are actually grown. And generally speaking, if food waste is landfilled, it decomposes into methane, which is about 20 times more harmful to the environment than CO2. And since Grubly's launch, we have helped divert around 13 million pounds of food waste. And we still see that as just a toe in the water in the sense that there's a lot of room for growth within the both chicken market and then future expansion as well. That's awesome work. I mean, that is our goal altogether as a people of this earth. So that leads us to the question, what new and exciting stuff is Grubly Farms going to have on the horizon? So most recently, we, we launched our first product in the dog market, Vroomies, a healthy snack for dogs that aids in joint health. We're already working on a second flavor of that, so it'll still have the same nutritional benefits, but we're going to look for a different flavor because there are some dogs that prefer, for example, peanut butter or sweet potato or pumpkin. So we're going to continue expanding there. We also want to continue expanding the backyard chicken and backyard poultry market. We're looking at doing an all flock feed. We're looking at doing a, a gelatin block that'll have grubs mixed with other ingredients and really just continuing to go into those markets. 
Ultimately speaking, we want to expand into additional markets, but that'll come into just the amount of resources that we have at play and what the regulations are in terms of what animals we can serve. The off-flock would be tremendous. This one would love it. Well, I have roosters. I don't. You know, roosters Mm -hmm. don't need that much calcium. So if I have roosters in a flock, they're on off-flock. Yeah. Regarding the expansion into the dog products with Vroomies, one of the real pushes for that is looking at impact that pets have on the environment. This is something that a lot of people don't realize that in the United States alone, dogs and cats actually account for about 25% of the environmental impact of all meat consumed on a yearly basis. And if dogs and cats in the US alone were actually their own country, they would be ranked fifth in the world in meat consumption. Wow. So it really is a massive potential impact. And our goal is to continue moving forward with product development to replace these more traditional proteins with grub-based proteins that will either reduce the overall demand for these proteins or allow them to be pushed toward human consumption. I'm going to tell you, as a vegetarian, the past couple of years, I've eaten some really weird protein sources (laughs) and they were actually good. So good to hear. So you uh, might try the grub burger. I probably would try the you grub would burger. Try. I don't think I could. I, I might I, have to make it myself and spice it the right way. Oh. But, um, the dog food is an interesting subject because cats are obligate carnivores, but dogs Correct. could potentially do well on a, not entirely insect, but I would imagine a diet that includes a lot of insect protein. I mean, yes. There would have to be some testing with that, how their body reacts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would say the real benefit of just grub protein in general is that it is hypoallergenic because most animals have not been exposed to it earlier in their life. So they haven't had the ability to develop allergies. And that right. also means that it is beneficial for pets with sensitive stomachs for easy nice. digestion. Okay. So there are a number of health benefits on top of it, aside from the sustainability, which is really the only reason we're even considering products in that lineup. If it didn't actually benefit the animal, then th- there's really no need to push that product base. Right. That's a lot of meat. I mean, when you talk yeah. about that amount of meat, I had no idea. All for animal food, for dog food, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of crazy. And uh, new studies are coming out that are basically saying grub protein is actually better for pets than top steaks. And that is on the nutritional side, not even factoring in that, you know, a pound of grub protein can be produced at about 120th the CO2 output as a pound of beef. So benefits across the board. Well, here's a weird practical question. What happens to all the frass produced by the grubs? Is it just compostable? So the frass itself can be viewed as a soil conditioner or a fertilizer Scientists are believed still doing additional studies on it, but it's been shown to have a natural insecticide and a natural fungicide to it. As an example, tomatoes and peppers are very susceptible to root funguses due to the high Mm -hmm. amount of water that they need. And a number of companies are looking into the benefit of using this insect frass as more of a natural soil additive. Oh, wow. For our listeners that don't know, that's poop. Because we're the poop (laughs) ladies sometimes. (laughs) This is going to make my next statement a little weird. They're also researching, because it's 10 to 15% protein, they're also researching it as a ingredient source for prawn, shrimp, or potentially fish. There's some nutrient value still in there. And this is another thing that we've always loved listening to our customers. But if this is a product that people would be interested in, you know, it's definitely something that we could line up in the future. You guys have done an amazing job with this company. Congratulations, all your hard work. It's great for the chickens. It's really inspiring. Now it's time for that unfair question that we ask every single person that comes (laughs) on the show. What is your favorite breed of chicken? 
Now, Sean, even though you don't have chickens, you have to have a favorite breed. I do. I hope I don't mess up the name, but it is the so I am Samani. That bird looks absolutely incredible. I would say a very close follow-up, which also looks very similar to that, is the Sumatra, I believe. Mm -hmm. It, it has that like the, the green sheen to it on the feathers. Just looks yeah. absolutely beautiful. I love your choices. Patrick, do you have a favorite? Frizzles. Yeah! yeah. They're just so <laughs> fluffy and adorable. Yeah. Super cute. Yeah. You have to make sure you get some photos of your frizzles up there. I certainly will. They're going to be super popular. There, there will be no shortage of, of photos. Well, we want to thank you both for coming on. We also want to thank you for your continued support as sponsors of the podcast. We love it. We love working with you guys. really enabled us to build this podcast the way we want it to go. Your mission is earth-friendly sustainability. Our mission in all of this, we wanted to educate people on chickens medically. They need to be treated. They deserve to be treated. So veterinary care is one of our missions. It's okay to take your chicken to the doctor's. Absolutely. And again, thank you for that. Because as I said, you know, chickens have definitely moved into the pet space outside of livestock. And with that, they need the care to back it up. Yeah. I'm just so thrilled that we were able to work with both of you as well. And congratulations on everything that you've been able to accomplish. Thank you. Thank very you. Much. Thanks. So great to meet Hope you. Hope you have a good Bye. day. Bye. Bye. We just want to thank Sean and Patrick one more time for coming on the show. We had a great conversation. So much fun meeting so these guys. Fun. We're going to have to have them back on soon. Absolutely. So happy Earth Day, everybody. This is my message, everybody. Go plant a tree today. <laughs> <laughs> Go plant beets and Brussels sprouts. No, do not plant beets and Brussels sprouts. Your chickens will thank apple you. Apple trees. Well, when I was planting apple trees, I I got nothing but grief over it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, what everyone. What should we tell everybody to do until the next time they hear from us? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them, too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.